This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I've always dreamed of owning my own business. I now have the chance to do whatever it takes with the right supports of people around me to grow something that's never been done before. And if Joshua can get up every day in the summer of 2002 and at three years old, survive eight neurosurgeries and three to save his life, this is just business. This is easy. That's not life and death. I'm looking at life and death every day. And every day, he's still here. Every day, he's making it. And if he can do that, what am I complaining about? My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. The episode you are about to listen to today was created specifically because we know after interacting with so many of you that living the one thing, it's hard. On the cover of the book, it says the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. It does not say the surprisingly easy truth behind extraordinary results. Whether you are an employee in an organization, whether you are an entrepreneur starting your business, or you are a business owner or a stay-at-home parent, there are always things in life that pop up and take you off of your most important priorities. And for most of us, we have the luxury of looking up at the end of the day and going, it's okay, I'll do better tomorrow. But what if you didn't have that opportunity? What if you not getting your priorities done was literally a matter of life and death. That's the reality for the man that you are going to meet today. He and his wife had a big vision for what they wanted out of life. And when their son was born, he was born premature, weighing under two pounds and diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And over the last 19 years of his life, he has had over 50 neurosurgeries. And there is not a day that goes by where there is literally a moment where he almost dies. Today is a conversation of what does it look like to not only thrive in your career, but to quit a job, a corporate job, to build four businesses while every single day knowing that one of the people that matters most to you may not actually make it through the day. What are the things that you start getting really clear that you must say yes to? And how do you begin saying no to everything else? With that, Let's get into this podcast episode with Stephen Gendel. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Stephen, the 
title of this episode came from your words. You said, it's life or death without time blocking. Before we get into the true story behind <laughs> why that is the reality that you live in every single day, I want to help the audience have an understanding of what was life like before your son ended up going through what he went through? Um, our life was pretty much like most people's lives, running, 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 running uh, to one thing to the next without a clear path of which way we were going to get there and how we were going to get there and building what we call this life that my wife and I wanted to build together. At that time, what did you envision out of your life? Well, we probably envisioned what most families envision. We would raise a family. We'd have careers. We would both be working full time. Um, our kids would go to college. We'd have a dog, etc. Um, and somehow earn enough to save for retirement along the way mm -hmm. without a clear, again, planned pathway or ability to get there. Life got in the way of that. What happened? Uh, my son was born at one pound, seven ounces in 1999, what they technically call a micro preemie. And uh, at about six months of age, was given the diagnosis of cerebral palsy. And we've had several surgeries, specifically neurosurgeries, uh, to help him survive various neuro infections. Um, and he's now 19. He's had over 50 neurosurgeries in his life. When What's your son's name? Joshua. Joshua. When Joshua was born and you find out, well, number one, one pound, seven ounces. Um, <laughs> I'm just imagining. And you find out he's got cerebral palsy. What does that mean for people who don't understand that? So when your child's an infant and they have that diagnosis, you're like, all right, they're a kid. It's no big deal. We'll see what they can do because they're still in that infancy stage. And then as milestones aren't being gained and you see the severity of it, my child was on the severe spectrum of it with another uh, muscle movement disease called dystonia in fighting the cerebral palsy, you, it, it knocks you for a loop because now everything changes. You learn, as my wife and I like to say, the medical world, the medical dictionary, the medical language, um, and you get ingrained in this world of doctors, hospitals, and therapists. And that's your whole life, work and doctors and hospitals and therapists. And that's it. I'm imagining for all the people who are out there who are parents, when something happens to your child, I mean, there's nothing that's more important, right? It is, it is the one thing. And yet here you are having to provide for the family in the meantime. So mm -hmm. you're, you're a business owner. Um, was your wife working at the time? She was, and she'd stopped working after Josh, just before Josh was born, and then never went back to work until she started her own business when he was three. Okay. What were the challenges you encountered trying to figure out how do I be present for Joshua? How do you be present for your wife and yet still perform in your career? We, we really found that the corporate world was not accepting or understanding of the family commitments of uh, a child who spends a lot of time with doctors, hospitals, and therapists. So when you have a, a medically involved child or a child with special needs or a child who needs a little bit of extra help to function on a day-to-day -day basis, and in our case, it turned out to be a lot of help because we require nursing care at home, 
um, the corporate world doesn't understand that, accept it, or provide for that in any way, shape, or form that we've been able to see, <laughs> which is what forced us into eventually starting our own businesses to allow that to happen for ourselves and for the people in our world because we never wanted to be treated. We never want to treat the people uh, the way we were treated. Mm. You fast forward 19 years, Joshua is still with you, yet that was not a given, right? Right. Right. Explain the type of attention that was required to keep him here. So we were able to come up with a half an hour by half an hour schedule to keep him alive. And in my wife's infinite wisdom, Erica was really smart in that she came up with a, if I'm not here, can you take care of him mindset? And will you be able to raise Joshua without me? And that's where we started. What we did not know at the time was time blocking, but it was the ability to time block our schedule, his schedule, what his medical needs were so we could teach his caregivers, his nurses, some family members what his needs were and let them understand that this is the best way for him to not just live, but thrive. Mm. Go into that a little bit more because I'm I'm putting myself in the listener's shoes imagining, I mean, this is such a dire situation and you just went from not just living to thriving. What does that look like? You know, we have a, a, a saying, two sayings in our house, no limits and no days off. When I used to say to Joshua, no days off, it didn't mean we weren't going to have fun. It just meant we were going to keep pushing him because society wasn't going to give him a break just because he uses a wheelchair or has special needs. Uh, some people may. But we didn't want that to be the case. So we wanted him to be able to thrive in his world around him. And though we've met with tons of medical professionals over the years, they're shocked at his progress and development for a kid who's had over 50 neurosurgeries because he looks like, in a nice term, garbage on paper when you see his medical history. And then this kid comes in and says hi to you. Um, and he shouldn't be able to communicate. <laughs> so at a very high level, Josh is able to communicate in and around his world because of the time blocks we've been able to create for him because he knows his care needs are met. So he's able to thrive in that environment because all of his needs are met. Yeah. You and I first met at our first couples goal setting retreat that we hosted right. in Austin at the end of 2017. I remember when you came up to me uh, during one of the breaks and you shared your story. And I just remember thinking, dude, how in the world are you here in Austin? Period. How are you not at home with your family? How are you physically able to leave your family? How are you able to even leave the house and go to work? What's your answer to that? It's time blocking or death. <laughs> That's my answer. It's uh, My coach would tell you that uh, Erica and I are highly sensitive to everything going on around us. And we hear things that other people don't hear. And we see things that other people don't see because we're constantly listening at a high level to every sound going on in and around us because it could be a life or death moment. So we've then taken that down to the minute level of what our support system looks like, what our time block schedule looks like, what our expectations of each other looks like so that we allow each other to um, plan out our year, plan out our month, plan out our week, and plan out our day through shared calendars that we were able to do things that people say we shouldn't be able to do. 
Mm. And and that's how we're able to accomplish what we accomplish because there is no way in heck my wife and I could own four companies without that. Just before I met you, Jeff, I mean, we had just spent uh, the prior year four months straight in a hospital and six months out of the prior year in an ICU with our son. And our businesses grew without us being there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. How? I hire really great people and and then they tell me to walk away <laughs> and I listen to them and I reward them continuously and constantly. And I, I don't micromanage people. Um, when I find that I have to micromanage someone, then I know they're not a good fit for me. I have to believe that the people in my world are an adult who can handle what we've trained them to handle. That doesn't mean that they're perfect day one on the job or the career or the opportunity. And that's the same for our nurses at home. We spend hours training our nurses, just like we spend hours training our people in our businesses so that we can walk away and know that they have it. Because our nurses have to be able to watch him without me, and I have to know that they have it, whether I'm there or not. I, I remember you talking at the event. You're talking about the nurses and how one day you walked up to them and asked them if you could get them lunch or something like that, and they were really surprised by the question. Sh share yes. that story. Sure. I mean, we, you know, one of the common things with our nurses is we feed them. If we know that they uh, like our food, then they'll come back because the food tastes good in our home. Then they'll come back because we'll provide them you've free been, lunch or free dinner. You've been hanging out with my Jewish mother, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. You think <laughs> uh, maybe because we've had bar, maybe because Josh had a bar mitzvah. Um, there you go. But we also understand that in the nursing or the home care nursing world, a lot of the nurses, the houses that they go into may not be the cleanest or as organized or as efficient as ours. And our kids certainly sicker than a lot of the other kids that they see. Even though Josh doesn't look as sick as the other kids, we know he is sick on the inside in terms of his long-term issues that he's dealing with. So we try to clear the plate of all the little things that they need to do so they can focus on the big thing, which is his daily care and his life and death issues that arise every day. Because there isn't a point every day where we don't have a life or death moment. This morning before I came to the, the, the office, we had a life and death moment in my house at 640 in the morning. It happens every day. So we have to clear the deck for our nurses. And when I say to our nurses, especially the new ones, you know, let me get you lunch, they're just absolutely shocked. They're like, why would you do that for me? I'm here to help you. And I said, if I can do that so you can take care of him at a higher level better, then you'll come back and you'll want to be here. Mm. And if you want to be here and you like being with him, then you can focus on keeping him alive. Then we're good. And then I can go about my day. It's this mindset that Gary Keller has taught us of, how can you make your world so big that talent can step in, have everything they could want, and remain inside your world? What I heard you say, Stephen, is that in the home care world, these these nurses are going into houses that are not well-maintained. They're dirty. It's not a great environment to be in. And then you consider your son, whose condition is far more serious than the average. If you can create an environment that actually supports them feeling fulfilled and getting their most important work done. If you can take those little things off that maybe other people would ask them do so that they can truly focus on their 20%, you'll retain them in your world. Correct. No question. No question. That is exactly how we think. That's exactly how we use time blocks to help them and help us. We have strategy sessions about his care. Um, we bring nurses with us on vacation. That's not typical. And we pay for them to come with us. 
because they get to have fun and we get to have fun as a family. And one of our nurses, in fact, said to us on a, a vacation a few years ago, how have you done this all these years without me? Because I can't imagine you getting him on a plane and you guys have done this for 10 years without me. And we said, we didn't realize we could do it with you. So we just did it. Mm. <laughs> she laughs because now she has to come with us because A, she has fun and B, she's able to help. So it's all about using the time blocks to then build leverage into your life so you can accomplish your goals. And that goal for us is a vacation to Disney World every year. The you know, Last year, one of our goals was for my wife and I to have a night away for the first time ever. In 18, 19 years, a night away from our son. <laughs> and we had to do a lot of planning to make that happen, to have an overnight nurse that we trusted, and then have day nurses around that so we could be gone for 24 straight hours. <laughs> And um, we did it. I want to dive into what this really looked like from a mindset standpoint. A lot of people who are listening to this understand the the day before vacation miracle, how that day before you're going on vacation, you have this new perspective. You realize there is a finite amount of time and there is an endless list of things that could be done. Yet there's really only a handful that really should be done. They mm-hmm. turn their to-do list into a success list. And all of a sudden, they start honoring the time blocks. They get really focused on accomplishing what matters most. I'm imagining as Joshua grows up, I mean, you say you go from the corporate world to starting a business to now collectively owning four businesses. I, My challenge for you, the listener, imagine what your life would look like if you were just just healthy family. What would life look like if you were running four businesses? Probably pretty crazy. Now the fact that, Stephen, you're sharing literally every single day there is a life or death moment. You're like, oh yeah, it happened this morning at 6.40 a.m. What did you very quickly have to start saying no to? Because it was just clear. You could no longer say yes to it. Everything that wasn't a revenue-producing activity, everything that didn't produce revenue or provide a growth opportunity. Go into that a little more. Jeff, it was... If it wasn't going to find a way to bring income into our family or our life, we weren't touching it. And if it felt too much of a minutia or time drain or time away from revenue coming into our world so we could live the life we want to live and have the financial means to support Joshua the way we need to because insurance doesn't cover everything, then why were we touching it? We have to find someone and hire them to pay them to do it for us. Mm-hmm. Or with us. Mm-hmm. And, and and the example I'll use is the cost of a minivan for the average person is between twenty five dollars and $30,000. Standard car that most families have in this country to drive to and fro. A modified minivan for someone in a wheelchair that we just bought is $70,000. <laughs> it's not cheap. They don't lease them. They're custom ordered. And the loans are very challenging. They're not traditional loans in any way, shape, or form. That's a lot of money I pay for a car that I have to have. Insurance doesn't pay for it. I get that question all the time. Insurance doesn't pay for you to have a car to take your son to the doctor. It just doesn't. We end up spending a lot on car payments for a car that's basically an ambulance to drive us back and forth to hospitals and doctors and things like that. Um, if I can't find a way to maximize my day to bring revenue into my family in some way, shape, or form from all the businesses and have multiple income streams in my life, then I can't live. So what am I doing? And that's when I pick up a new 
business or a new opportunity that I'm touching all the parts of the process, I will run through that about six or seven times and then find the ways to eliminate myself and put the people in that are better at it than I am. You, out of necessity, have learned to succeed through others. You have learned to overcome the fear of chaos. You have embraced saying no. It is your job to say no. I put myself and I want you to talk to the people who, whether they've just read The One Thing for the first time, whether they just subscribed to The One Thing podcast, and they are telling themselves the story, but I have to always be in my email. I have to attend those meetings. I'm expected to say yes when someone asks if I've got a minute. They just... They are in their head. They are really afraid of what life looks like if they said no to 80% of the stuff that's on their plate. What do you say to them? Wake up. It's really, really important for you to focus on the things that bring in the biggest results into your world. And the time blocks that allow you to do that will free you up. I'm saying yes to everyone is saying no to your family. Hmm. I I actually had an experience with that today where I was meeting my wife for lunch right before this and we were meeting at 1230 and I was wrapping up a pre-interview with uh, someone who is going to be on the One Thing webinar series, which every month we do a live webinar with a best-selling author. You guys can learn more about that if you go to theonething.com and click on webinars, you can see who's coming up. But uh, that went till 1227. And I ended up getting there two minutes late. And my I could tell it bothered my wife that I was there two minutes late. And I remember thinking, quickly my mind went to, well, you don't know what was on my plate today. And very quickly I realized, no, 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 no. I chose to prioritize a stranger over the single most important person in my world. And it was just so clear. I said yes to something else. And I said no to the person that means the most to me in the entire world. And that didn't feel good. And let's just say a much more sincere apology was delivered. I, 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 for you who's listening, we get it. We've all been there. We, we, we care about what other people think, and yet we just don't think about ourselves and the people that matter most. I, I'm curious, Stephen, because it's one thing to say, wake up. It's another thing to say, you can do this, and you are a case study of what that looks like. But I want you to go into those moments when you were forced to start saying no to the 80%. What were the things that got really messy? And what were the things that you expected to blow up that actually just didn't? So early in my career, um, and I started in the real estate industry, I'm having to sell a house when you're sitting next to your son's bed in the intensive care unit. How do you do that? How do you sell a house in 2002 and your son is in the intensive care unit for four months? How do you do it? What'd you do? You know, this is before the age of digital contracts. So I begged and borrowed and stealed the Wi-Fi of the hospital, which didn't have Wi-Fi all over. And they were nice enough to give me access to their network so I could type contracts and e-fax them to the nurse's station. The nurses became my my assistants and they would greet my clients who'd show up at the ICU to sign a contract. I would have the nurses put my clients in the nurse's lounge and I would use it as my office. <laughs> That's succeeding through others like I was not expecting. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it, was, it was comical. I would tell my nurses, I've got a client coming at 9 p.m. They would grab the contract off the fax machine that I had e-faxed there. They would run and give me the contract and say, your clients are in the lounge. I gave them coffee. I've got Josh. Go. 
And my wife was home taking a break because she needed to take a break. And I would go to the conference room and I would go, um, here, sign, 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 sign. And I'll call you later after I speak to the other real estate agent. And then I would literally refax it back to myself at the nurse's station and then email the contract to the other realtor. And the realtor wouldn't know how to open the attachment. And I would describe them my offer to them. And we would uh, negotiate a contract to sell a home. And um, I would leverage other people to show homes for me. But I would write the deals and make my clients drive to a hospital to, to buy homes. What I'm hearing and- you say is that it can be done. Yeah, I mean, every time we had a closing, the nurses got gifts at the ICU. I mean, every time they helped me do a deal, they would literally turn around and have gifts waiting for them. Every time I would purposely leave my laptop open when the doctors would come by. So as I'm searching the MLS, they'd look over my shoulder to see what homes were for sale. And then I have a friend of mine in my office show them the homes, and then they'd come back with their wife to the hospital and buy homes from me. Without me leaving the ICU. I, I, I'm not going to do the quote justice, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's almost like um, adversity, constraint is, is the mother of creativity. Yeah, no question. It's all those times in your life when all of a sudden you have incredible restrictions, incredible challenges that you can't just do it the way that you naturally would do it, that all of a sudden you are forced to engage your mind in a new way and find a very creative solution to what seems like an unsolvable problem. If it can be done, I'm going to make sure it happens. We're going to find a way. And I'll briefly give you the summer of 2002 in a nutshell that my wife and I have nicknamed the summer of hell. Josh had eight neurosurgeries, three to save his life. I got fired from my corporate job in software sales in the middle of June while he was on life support the day after his first life-saving neurosurgery. A week later, my mom needs emergency breast cancer surgery. And two weeks after that, my grandmother and my wife's two grandparents were all in the hospital with heart failure. That all happened in about a week to three weeks of each other. I got my real estate license at that time changed my life, started new businesses, found a way. What did you tell yourself that kept you going in spite of everything that you just described? I looked at my family and knew I couldn't fail them. I had a a wife who was amazingly supportive on my journey and is probably the best person to ever have an accountability session with because my very first day of real estate, my wife said, sell three houses today. And then I came home that night and she said, did you sell three? And I said, no. And she goes, there's still three hours left, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's good. (laughs) But what I told myself was, uh, ultimately, it's going to be up to me. How do I build a business really big? How do I build a business really wide? And I've always dreamed of owning my own business. I now have the chance to do whatever it takes with the right supports and people around me to grow something that's never been done before. And if Joshua can get up every day in the summer of 2002 and at three years old, survive eight neurosurgeries and three to save his life, this is just business. This is easy. That's not life and death. I'm looking at life and death every day. And every day, he's still here. Every day, he's making it. And if he can do that, what am I complaining about? What am I worried about? What's stopping me? Nothing. 
Because when I go home tonight, or when I went home then, there's my son who wants to know, did I sell three homes today? Or there's my son who wants to know uh, who I met with today or what did I do? And now at 19, he probably could teach more people about real estate than anyone else. And he just wants to be around me and learn, and I want to learn from him. So if he's facing life or death every day, multiple times a day, something's going to happen. What the heck am I worried about failure? Mm-hmm. So what? I'm putting myself in your shoes and having children and knowing what that costs, but now imagining what does it look like? You got 50 neurosurgeries over 19 years. That's two and a half surgeries a year. So what does it cost to fund two and a half neurosurgeries a year, full-time nursing care? You have to pay double for your vehicles. Insurance costs got to be higher. What does that look like? Um, my, accountant, um, my accountant and I and financial planner and I have come up with a mathematical term that it basically costs an Ivy League education every year to keep my son alive, going, moving forward every year without the ability of saving for an education for him to go to college. And that's going to be every year, regardless of whether he goes to college or not. So imagine if it costs 75000 a year to go to Harvard, we're paying seventy five to 100000 a year in medical outside equipment, outside service providers, things not covered by insurance, food we have to purchase because we're living in the hospital versus eating at home, et cetera. And you're not saving for your child's education. You're paying that the day that your kid is born and it gets paid forever. The reason I asked that question is because in order to live, normally we would say in order to live a big life, you build a big business to fund that big life. For you guys, just in order to live life, you've had to build big businesses to fund that life. The reason I'm asking this question is because so many people want to succeed through others and then they struggle to leverage. They struggle believing that someone else can do it as well as them. Uh, Maybe it won't get done on time. It's just easier to do it yourself. You were not afforded that choice. What would you say to someone who really knows that they should be succeeding through others and yet they just won't hand the ball off to someone else? How do they get started? They need to look at the world around them and and they need to help empower others so that the person around them can succeed at the highest level they can, which helps the person who gave them the opportunity succeed at the highest level that that person can. What did that look like for you at the beginning? Scary at first. I'll go personal and then professional. The scary part at first was being able to trust the nurses and doctors around me that they could take care of Josh as well as I could that I could walk away from a nurse in my house and know that she'll keep him alive. That's not easy to do. Professionally, it's learning how to trust someone with your finances in your company and make sure that they can maximize your profit and watch the expenses and keep a tight lid on, the, uh, on your checkbook so that the company doesn't spend things they don't need to. And then it's hiring someone to help grow the company with you and train people So they can do the jobs that are in front of them. And then lastly, finding great partners for these other businesses you want to start and helping those people fulfill their goals and dreams personally, professionally, and financially. So you really have to spend all this time spending time understanding everyone's big why, their work ethic, and where they want to go with that and how you can help create that so that their world gets big and you're funding that both emotionally and financially funding that. Because there isn't a person in my world 
whether it's a nurse, an employee, an associate, or a business partner, that if I sat down with them, I couldn't tell you about their life, their kid, their kids' names, what their goals are, what their kids are going, where their kids are going to college, and what's happening. You're gonna, you got to understand all that. Because if you don't understand that for them, then they're not going to care about you. You're just a, a person who's giving them a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And, and that just takes time in getting to know people. And the more you spend time asking people questions about them, they will then come back and surprise you and fulfill your life in your business world and give you the leverage you need. Because they're going to say, I got it because you've got that. One of the things that I really respect about you, Stephen, is first and foremost, look at what you've accomplished over the last 19 years dealing with the challenges, the hand that you've been dealt. And even though you and Erica were able to create your systems for how to ensure that Joshua not just lives but thrives to go from being in a corporate job to now having four thriving businesses, the thing that I respect is that you still follow that path of mastery. You're still looking for that next way to take your results to the next level. And that's why I was so surprised when I saw you at the goal setting retreat last year, the fact that you left your family for it. My question is, what's happened over the last year since you spent two days with that community that wasn't possible before? One of the biggest challenges I've had with my coach was we were so present on being present in the moment, the long-term goal setting and goal planning a year, two years, three years down the road have always been a challenge. Uh, Coming back from the one thing goal setting retreat really put that in my forefront of my face that as much as we have our time blocks, we're not looking at, I'm a big picture thinker and we were not looking at the uh, bigger picture of the monthly, yearly, three-year, five-year goals. And my coach has been asking me for seven years to do a one-year calendar and plan my vacations first. Mm. And um, I said, I've heard that before. And we laughed. And um, after the one thing goal setting retreat, I got a a year calendar, put it on my wall in my office uh, with the help of my CFO, spent about two hours working on what the year would look like. And I broke out into a sweat. I've got to be honest with you, Jeff. I, I almost wanted to throw up to look that far ahead because in my life, every time I've looked that far ahead, Joshua's gotten sick and all those plans have been wiped away. Whether it was a vacation, whether it was a business trip, uh, whatever event it was planned on that year calendar in my mind, I ended up missing because Josh was in a hospital some of the time. So putting it on paper, putting it in front of me, it was scary. It was really scary. And that's why I almost got sick to my stomach because I'm looking at this going, what if Josh gets sick again? You know, he's the odds are he's going to, you know, (laughs) we know what our world looks like. However, however, if I don't do this, am I really getting to the next level of mastery in my world and what a bigger life can look like for all the things that I really want to accomplish? And um, that's what forced me to do that. And Mm -hmm. uh, I did it. And was not only able to take one trip to Disney World, was able to find two trips to Disney World. And now in my calendar this year, ended up getting three trips to Disney World. <laughs> which had never. And now instead of getting one night away with my wife, I've gotten two nights. Well, well, by the end of this year, we'll have two nights away with my wife. 
and still be able to go to all the business events. And our company will double in size this year, one of our primary businesses. And I found a new CEO to take over the the, uh, day-to-day operations of that. So that wasn't possible unless not only I did my 411, but I also had my year planned out in front of me on my calendar and then watch those things happen around me. You heard Stephen talk about how this is the first year where he was actually able to cast a vision for 12 months and really exceed what he thought was possible. Over the last 19 years, so much of his life has been about day by day, just making it through. And when they have trips or things that they want to accomplish, you never know because in this case, Joshua, something could happen. Yet over the last 12 months, something changed. Stephen came to Austin and he invested two days with Jay and myself and a group of other like-minded high achievers to figure out how do you actually go about getting clarity on what you want out of your life someday from now? And how do you, based on that, establish five-year goals to feel like you're on track for your someday? And based on that, how do you get clarity on what your goals are really for this one year to feel like you're on track for your five? And then how do you bring a tool like a 411 into play and actually have weekly accountability so you are focusing on the things that matter most? And what does it look like if you were to do that with the people who are most important to your success in your life, whether that be a significant other, a business partner, your team, or a group of friends? That's what the One Thing Couples Goal Setting Retreat is. This is not a marriage counseling session. This is a place for you to get out of your environment and get clarity on your life with the people who are going along for the ride with you to co-author your goals together. If you would like to learn more about the experience that Stephen had, go to theonething.com slash event. That's theonething.com slash event with the number one in the URL. It is going to be November 17th and 18th this year. And if you happen to be listening to this podcast after that, go to theonething.com, click on the training page, and you will see the dates for next year's and secure your spots there. The question we would ask you is, what's the one thing most likely to stop you from accomplishing the big goals that we know you can accomplish? We hope that you will choose to come surround yourself with this amazing community that has been formed over the past few years and discover how you really can achieve extraordinary results. Go to theonething.com slash event to secure your tickets right now. Our question for you who's listening is, what results are possible for you over the next year if you just made a few tiny tweaks? Nothing we covered there, Stephen, was was earth-shattering. Doves did not fly out from behind Jay, Jay and me. Glitter did not fall down from the sky, right? Correct. Okay. Yet, why was it different? Being able to now take a big picture focus to the year and then watch those things happen, mm. that's been kind of fun. <laughs> um I've now been able to find holes in my schedule that I didn't know existed to take on some new things and look at new opportunities that I didn't know existed. And then, of course, as I looked at the big picture calendar, a medical thing came up this year that was not related to my son or me or my wife, um, but another family member of mine that I'm close to had cancer. 
and uh, was able to provide what I hoped for him was the support he needed as he was going through that uh, because I have my, my master calendar in front of me of what I need to do, where I need to do it, and what the big picture looks like. So now I can focus on not just the 2019 year coming up, but also focus on my three- and five-year plan, which I still haven't mastered yet. <laughs> I'm yeah. still working on that one. I got one year down. Now I got to work on the next two, two steps. That's this year, buddy. We'll get you there. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get there. That's awesome. Well, what do you say to people who ultimately they, they, they lack commitment? They are not committed, meaning no ifs, no ands, no buts. They are committed to doing the one thing every day. It's more of a, oh, I'll, I'll try type of mindset. So in my world, Jeff, trying is failing with honor. And every time you say you try, you gave yourself a pat on the back to fail. Good job, I failed. But you, you knew you were going to fail before you started because you said you were going to try. You either do it or you don't do it. And if you don't do it, it's okay. Be accepting of your failure because you're going to get better at whatever it is you're working towards doing to eventually make that successful. And, and it goes back to my son. You know, I can never look at my son and say, I tried to open your airway. I'm sorry I didn't keep you alive today. I will, I will never do that. I will always open that airway and I will always keep him alive today. So when someone in my world says I tried something, I already know they failed it. They're just giving themselves a pat on the back. And that may sound a little harsh, but the reality is I'm asking you to accomplish something, whatever that thing is for your role, your job, your goals, et cetera. And I will clear the deck to make that possible for you and coach you and train you how to do it. It's okay if you spend a half an hour on the phone trying to generate leads or working to generate leads. If you had nothing and no success and you did it four days in a row, I then know how to coach you on your script or whatever it is you're working on and what you're saying versus the person who just did it once or did it twice and said, yeah, I tried and it's done. You try and you give yourself the, excuse, the ability to fail with honor. And that's just unacceptable. I can never look at my son and say that. Stephen, thank you so much for sharing this journey. Um, folks, if you are interested in learning more about the, the goal setting retreat, go to the one thing.com. That's with the number one, the URL. Click on the training page. You can learn more about the event there. You can also learn about the one thing planner that would very much help with what Stephen was talking about. Uh, Stephen, where, what's that final thing that you would share with people before we conclude this episode? Success leaves clues. I'm not that smart. I cannot paint. I can trace the Mona Lisa, though. Um, I'm really not that smart, but I'm really good at following what other people have taught me. I may not get there as fast as I should sometimes because other stuff, like everyone else, I think I can do it better or differently. But when you follow what's right in front of you and you surround yourself with great people and empower them to do what they can do at a high level, wow, life gets pretty fun. Well, there you have it. My conversation with one of the One Thing community members, Stephen Gendel. As I sit back and think about everything that Stephen has been through, uh, I am in awe of his ability to continue to move forward. And one of the things that I find most impressive is every single time I have seen him at one of our events, every time I talk to him on the phone, he's got a smile on his face. There's this peace about him. And I wonder if it's because he wakes up every single day with true clarity on what matters most in his life. And 
Is it that he gives himself permission just to view everything else as a distraction, as noise, based on what you heard today? What can you do differently? Imagine if the people that you mattered most suddenly were struggling with the same challenges Joshua struggles with every single day. What are the things that you are currently doing that you know, drop of a dime, you would stop doing because it actually doesn't matter? What are those things that you are treating like priorities when they are truly distractions? Will it require a life-threatening illness of someone that you love for you to make change? What's the one thing that you can do such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary? If this episode has helped you, would you pause and really think about who are the people that I love in this world? Who are the people that I really care about who need to hear this message as well? Will you take 30 seconds to text this to them? Will you email it to them? Will you go as far as to call them and help them subscribe so so they can hear this episode and all the amazing episodes that we have to come? We're in business because we believe that time is your most valuable, non-renewable asset. And we are on a mission to build a movement of people who wake up every single day and consciously choose to invest their time the best that it can be done. Will you join us? And we'll invite those that you care about to join you as well. Thank you so much for listening to The One Thing Podcast. We really appreciate you. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.